So for the last few weeks, we've been in a series entitled The Red Letters, What Did Jesus Say? Now, I kind of grew up having Bibles in the home, and, and I, I was always intrigued with, with seeing red letters in the New Testament. And it, it really was a way for me to really take seriously what was being said. It's like the red just kind of stands out. And it's a way to make us pay attention because what's being said is very, very important. And today I just want to talk about the true kingdom. The true kingdom. Now Jesus said many powerful things. And he answered many questions. But what, I've, what I realized is that one of the most powerful things that Jesus said, and he said many powerful things, But one of the most powerful things he said, he didn't say it to religious leaders. He didn't say it to those that came to him because they needed to be healed, although he said and did powerful things to them. It wasn't even to those that were closest to him, although he said powerful things to them as well. One of the most powerful things Jesus said was to a government official, to a politician, if you will. And that stands out to me because it says to me that Jesus has something to say to those in government. The political sphere is not an area where Jesus is absent or he's afraid to step into. (laughs) The political sphere is an environment where Jesus really has something to say. Now, he speaks to us all the time because we hear from him. We are his children. He lives on the inside of us by his spirit. But it doesn't remain there. He has something to say to everyone with ears to hear. So I want to turn to uh, John chapter 18. And I want to read a few verses. And we're going to kind of springboard from here. Now, leading up to this point, Jesus has been arrested. He was betrayed. He's arrested. And now he's brought to a man named Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of Judea at the time. And Pilate heard accusations about Jesus and how these people wanted him to be put to death. And this is where we kind of begin the scene here. John 18, starting at verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Verse 34, Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Very important question here, because this question will reveal motive. Pilate answered, verse 35, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? It's it's almost as if Pilate is is asking, if if you're really a king, why, why do your people act the way they do? If you're really the one in charge... Why are your people more submitted to my government than yours? 
if you really are a king, Verse 36, Jesus answered, powerful statements here, my kingdom is not of this world. Let me pause right there for a second, because what Jesus is implying here is that, number one, he is a king, number two, he has a kingdom, but number three, it doesn't originate from the earth. It doesn't have the same structure that's found in the governments of the earth. It doesn't require authorization from the governments on the earth to exist. It doesn't come from here. It's as if he's saying to Pilate, you wouldn't even understand the makeup of my government and my kingdom. And then he continues, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. So the kingdom of Jesus, the true kingdom, does not follow the same pattern as the kingdoms or governments of this world. You know, there's an old Scottish motto that many countries and, and empires have adopted over the years, and it goes, no one attacks me without impunity. That's how many governments are structured. In other words, the way the governments of our world works is that every offense requires retaliation. If I or we are offended, then we need to respond. We need to seek revenge. We need justice. We need to right this wrong. But I wonder, it's, it's, is that the way the kingdom works? Is that the way the kingdom of Jesus works? See, people in Jesus' kingdom don't seek power by waging war or conspire or scheme for revenge. The people in Jesus' kingdom, they don't wage war. They lay down their lives. This is completely different than how the world works in many ways. The people in the kingdom of Jesus lay down their lives. They don't conspire. They don't make backdoor deals. They don't try to cheat other people. They don't seek to retaliate based off of offense. They have another form of resistance. You know, sometimes the greatest form of resistance is, is, is not doing what the world does. If you want to be a resistor, do something different than what you see. It seems that Jesus' kingdom is evident not by how many people we overpower, but how many people we love. That seems to me that's how we can spot 
the nature of the kingdom of Jesus. It's not who we can persuade to our side of the aisle. It's not who we can somehow convert to our political ideologies. It's how much we're willing to lay down our lives in spite of what style of the aisle they're on. It's okay to clap to that. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> Trust me, it's okay. <laughs> when people encounter Jesus, when we encounter Jesus, he will challenge our belief systems. He does it in a very healthy way, but he will challenge our belief systems. He will challenge our theological systems, and he will challenge our political systems. Because he does it to help us orient what it's really like to be in his kingdom. He helps us to see that maybe we're looking at things the wrong way or asking the wrong questions. See, but our response is usually unhealthy because Jesus will reveal where our true loyalty lies. When people infringe on what's sacred to us, things get really messy really quickly. Here's an example. In John chapter 19, now before I read these verses here, I mean, these religious leaders, these Jews, they are not having it. They want Jesus dead. They want him dead. He is too threatening to them. What he says, what he does it, and how he does it is too threatening. He has to be killed. They're not having it. They scheme, they, they connive, and, and they, in fact, they get him arrested, they take him to Pilate, and they say, listen, we want this man dead. And Pilate's like, what did he do? They're like, we want him dead. Crucify him. Kill him. Make an example of him. Kill him so other people know not to threaten what we do. Starting at verse 12, John 19. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Pause right here. These are ignorant people. They're really smart. They know what they're saying here. Because to be affiliated with Caesar, the emperor, was a big deal. And you did not want to disrupt that relationship. You did not want to be on the opposite end of Caesar. So they say, if you let this man go, you are not a friend to Caesar. Now that backs Pilate up in the corner. He has to do something now. Verse 13. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in in Amaraic Gabbatha. Verse 14. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold, your king. 
verse 15. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? Now listen to this. The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. This goes to show the depth of anger they had for Jesus. Because what he did, what he said, and who he said it to was too threatening. He hung around with all the wrong people, did all the wrong things. So much so that they said, we have no king but Caesar. In other words, we don't even really want God. We want the president. Because God does things that sometimes don't make sense. He interacts with people that sometimes doesn't make sense. That's too threatening. We want what's safe, even though it's unhealthy. All right. I think I'll just let that one flap on the stage. <laughs> because here's the deal. Oh, man, this is a good one here. Where we place our allegiance is where we look for salvation. That's what it boils down to. Where we place our allegiance is where we look for salvation. So if we would rather align to a political party, then we will look for salvation from that political party and not from God. Chuck Colson, who was, a, um, he was an advisor for Richard Nixon, and he was the founder of a ministry called Prison Fellowship. And, <laughs> and one time he said, the kingdom of God will not come on Air Force One. Now, for some of you, that's funny. For some of you, you are very offended right now. And either way, I've been successful. <laughs> I love it. But I'm not going to be too hard on the religious leaders or even on Pilate because even those closest to Jesus misunderstood the concept of the kingdom. For example, in Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 20, look at this. Then the mother of James and John, these were some of the closest people to Jesus, their mom. Moms were always the most courageous ones. You know, it's, it's, it's always the moms. They came to Jesus. She came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? Jesus asked. She replied, In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Now, this is a noble desire. She wants what's best for her boys. She really does. This is noble. She wants her boys to be in positions of power and of influence. 
There's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. Let me pause right there. Although the request was noble, and although I believe her sons really wanted that, those positions too, it shows that they had a fundamental misunderstanding of how the kingdom of Jesus works. Let me put it this way. If, if this mom, if her request was granted, she would have seen her boys on Golgotha. She would have seen her boys on the hill of Calvary if she really had her prayer answered. Because the way the kingdom works, the way Jesus brought the kingdom was not to sit on a golden throne. It was to hang on a wooden cross. Why? Down to verse 28. He says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the ethic of the kingdom, is to lay down our lives. Sometimes we need to celebrate that some of our prayers are not answered. Because sometimes, as noble, as good-hearted, we don't know what we're asking sometimes. This is the ethic of the kingdom. It is the kind of love that bears all things, that, that hopes all things, that endures all things, that doesn't hold or keep a record of wrongs. That's the ethic of the kingdom. Jesus said that blessed are the poor in spirit. Those Blessed are those, happy are those that know they have a native God because what belongs to them is the kingdom. So how do you teach about the kingdom to people who either don't have a framework for it or those who are familiar with it but don't see it? Well, what Jesus did, he's taught in parables. And the word parable means a, a placing alongside. It's, it's a story intended to, to change how, how we view things. So when Jesus tells parables, it's, it's like him saying, put it this way, or look at it like this, or let me paint a picture for you as a way for us to look at things differently. So, Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 26, he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. So he's telling a parable now. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, underline that phrase right there, very important phrase, the soil produces grain, First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, 
because the harvest has come. Verse 30. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He had to find a way to explain what the kingdom is like for those that don't really understand how it works. And he uses this analogy, the first parable, of a man who scatters seed. And night and day, whether he sleeps or get up, the seed sprout and grows. Now that phrase in verse 28, all by itself, that phrase is where we get the English word automate. In other words, when the seed is planted, somehow, without any effort, it produces fruit. When you automate something, those of you that are in systems or you're in, you know, the marketplace, you know about automation. That's how you can scale. That's how you can grow. He says all by itself, the, the, the seed automates. You start it, and it just produces. It's almost like you set it and forget it kind of thing, for those of you that have crockpots. Sorry. <laughs> but it's that same kind of thing. That's how the kingdom works. God plants the seed and it just grows. Now, I'm thankful that we get to partner in that process. We can be proclaimers and ambassadors of the kingdom. But the kingdom grows because the kingdom grows. I heard this... Uh, quote by a guy named Sinclair Ferguson, and he says, we're not the reason the gospel works. The gospel is the reason the gospel works. And the same thing applies to the kingdom. The kingdom works because the kingdom works. The kingdom grows because the kingdom grows. Because there's a strong man behind it. There's truth behind it. Whether you agree with it or not, it's going to grow. In the next parable, he said it's like a mustard seed. It's, it's, it's the smallest of things, but before you know it, it becomes the biggest thing. It may look small. It may look insignificant. It may look as if nothing is happening. But before you know it, it is undeniable. That's how the kingdom works The kingdom is like a process of growth that happens automatically. The kingdom is about giving away what we have because it will produce in the lives of others. So there's a certain level of patience and faith that's required in the kingdom. We have to be faithful to where we've been planted because God will give the increase. He will produce. And we have to be true to this kingdom 
It may not look like it's doing anything, impacting anything, influencing anyone, but believe me, it is. In fact, the fact that we're in this room is evidence that the kingdom is working. The fact that we are here every week to encounter the presence of God is evidence that the kingdom is working. The fact that people can see drug addiction broken, where marriages are restored, is evidence that the kingdom is working. The fact that people are being healed and people are now in their right minds is evidence that the kingdom is working. Now, this is where I'll close, going back to John 18, verse 37, back to the encounter with Judas and Pilate. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world. Pause right there. What Jesus is implying here is that although the kingdom is not from the world, it is for the world. The world needs the kingdom, whether it wants to accept it or not. This world needs the kingdom of God. We need to see something that operates within a moral framework where there isn't any kind of corruption or rhetoric or lies We need to see someone who can be in a position of authority and not be jaded by it, not let it go to his head. There's a reason why it's said of Jesus that the government rests on his shoulders. Because only he can carry the kind of weight required to steward the government of God. And this is the same man that we see hanging on a cross, seemingly vulnerable, desperate. But that's how the kingdom comes into the earth. By sacrificial love. The kind of love that's secure enough in its skin where it doesn't have to seek for revenge or to seek to persuade in a way that is immoral. He says, for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Either we believe him or not. And he says, anyone who is of truth, they'll hear my voice. And that's why I've come into the earth, to testify of the true kingdom. To show you that there really is a righteous government. And there really is a righteous king. The kingdom comes for many who are jaded, who are fed up with what they see. It comes to those that are frustrated and disappointed with seeing politician after politician, after senator, after king, after president, and nothing seems to change. 
there has to be something greater. Is this what our, our lives are meant to be? That every four years we place our faith in a ballot box? That's the Christian faith? That's not mine. That's not mine. Now, let me say this. Jesus respects Pilate's position. He respects Pilate's government position. But he wants Pilate to know there's something greater even than you. Now, people may bow when you walk into a room. People may see you as a dignitary and they salute But there will be a day where every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's my king. That's my king. That's my king. And Jesus wants to be He wants us to be part of the best form of government, and that's his kingdom. That's his true kingdom. May we really be ambassadors of that true kingdom. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying not to hold values dear. I'm just saying have it in proper perspective as a follower of Jesus. I'm saying Put Jesus in his rightful place. Put first things first. That's what I'm saying. Because as a follower of Jesus, as children of God, as those those who are citizens of the true kingdom, we have a message of hope to tell those that are jaded, frustrated, and disappointed. Is that there really is a righteous king. And that king died for us. That king died to broker reconciliation between us and our creator God. That king died so that we would have life eternal and abundant. That king died so that whatever has hindered love will be removed. Jesus. Jesus. church is one of the only places on earth where Jesus is taken with the utmost of seriousness and respect. In any other space, he's ridiculed. In any other space, he's, he's an afterthought. He's one of many. <laughs> but not here. Not here. 
it doesn't state you. Some of you need to get up close and personal with this Jesus. Maybe you've heard about, never really understood. Maybe you've read about him. Maybe you've been to church several times. Maybe this is your first time in church. But an intimate relationship with him is actually possible, and it's within reach even this moment. with our mouth and believe in our heart that God who raised him from the dead saves us and delivers us. So we want to invite you. If you don't know who Jesus is, you've never known who he is, you've never had a relationship with him that has any kind of depth or meaning to you or relevance to you, we want to invite you to step out of the boat like we mentioned earlier and let us pray with you and for you to receive this Jesus to discover what life in his kingdom is really all about because it really is amazing it really is if you have sickness or if you have something going on in your body where maybe you've prayed for healing and you haven't seen it yet or maybe you've never prayed for healing One of the ways the kingdom is evident is through physical healing. That's one way we can actually demonstrate that God's kingdom is in fact working. We want to pray for that for you if that's you. And last but not least, would would you guys just indulge me in this? If if a dignitary would have come into this room we would have given that person the proper respect due his position as an official. Now, Jesus is actually here. The king of kings is is actually here. Could we just, let's give him 20 seconds. Could we just give him a, a, a great big applause, praise, shout. Jesus, you are amazing. We celebrate you. We bless your name today. You are the true king. You are the true king. We bless your name today. We bless your name today. (laughs) Oh, come on. You can do better than that. You can do better than that. We bless your name. Jesus, the true king of the world. was and is and is to come. (laughs) I love him. I love him. And my hope is that you would love him too and allow yourself to receive his love for you because he loves you that much. So if you want to receive prayer for any of those reasons I gave earlier, come to the front, let us pray with you and for you. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday. Have a great week. Put Jesus first and watch what he'll do. Bless you guys.